0: Let us stand together and let us hear God's call to worship. All this morning comes from Psalm 134. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made heaven and earth. As we are called to come into God's presence, he greets us with these words, Grace and peace unto you, from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, listen to the words of the institution of the sacrament of holy baptism, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Our first scripture passage this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you would please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll read the first nine verses, the first nine verses of Deuteronomy 6, dealing with what I just talked about in terms of submitting to the kingship of Christ in our lives, and the idea that we are, as we've also have bore witness to this morning, we are God's covenant people that distinguishes us from the world. What does that mean? So let us give our attention to the reading of God's word. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, and a land flowing with milk and honey." You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house, and on your gates. Thus far, the reading of God's most holy word. Now we turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy and the third chapter. We will be reading through the 17 verses of this chapter, and we will be giving our particular attention to the verses 14 and 15. Let us again hear the word of God. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led aside by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. Again, verses 14 and 15. But as for you, continue what you have learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Thus far, the reading of God's most holy word. It is, of course, always a joyous occasion when we see God's covenant blessings continuing from generation to generation, and we can bring a young child to the covenant and apply the sign of that covenant promise in the sacrament of baptism. It is, of course, a special privilege to me to be able to do that uh, this morning. A couple of weeks ago, I had a session with Michael and with Caitlin uh, through the uh, technology of Zoom on the on the computer. Um, and um, I discussed with them what we're going to be doing and the raising of children. And I asked the question um, as to why, if they could tell me why, we would baptize infants. And Caitlin gave this very good answer about the covenant and the covenant promises, and I'm thinking, hmm, she must have had a pretty good teacher. (laughs) Remember that Jesus said of little children, that of such is the kingdom of heaven. One of the ongoing questions that continues to surface is what specifically, or someone would ask this question very often when we discuss infant baptism, what specifically does baptism do for my child? What guarantees do we have from God that our children will grow up to be faithful and to worship their God? What is, in fact, the real difference between our children who are baptized in the church and those who are not now as with many things in life it is our nature that we want to have a very simple formula and a guarantee that if that formula is followed then the results will be there, right? we get the right coach, we will win That's what we would like to say. Well, let me start by saying there is no magic in the water. And there is no magic formula. Baptism itself is the sign of God's blessing and promises which are given to His people. And that's a tremendous privilege. It is a privilege that is ours that God has said that you can know that there is a Savior that is available to you, that is there for you, that will suffer and die for your sins. And that promise is made known to us. We claim it, we understand it in the sign of baptism. It is the message of the good news of salvation. But it is not that in and of itself, there's some sort of magical thing that happens and then they're saved. The promise is the message of the good news of salvation contained in the Word of God. In our text, the Apostle Paul is writing to his young companion who he's training for the ministry, Timothy. And he reminds Timothy of the privilege that he had as a youngster growing up in a home in which those covenant promises were claimed and taught to him by his mother and by his grandmother. His father, we know, was not a believer. And so as we consider the words which Paul speaks to Timothy, reminding him of what he ought to remember because he was taught that as a youngster. Now that's a good message for all of us to remember. Obviously, We cannot encourage young Ezra. He doesn't understand the terms that we're talking about yet this morning. But it is a great message for all of us as parents and as grandparents and as the covenant community in the church to be reminded of these promises that God has given to his faithful people. So we want to look this morning, consider with me as we see what it is that Paul says to Timothy is the promise. What is the benefit of being a young child in a covenant home? And then we will also see how that can and does become evident in his life. Now, the exhortation to Timothy is to continue Paul says, continue at what you have learned, and that you have learned from the word of God. And that that word which was being instilled in him beginning in his infancy. You know, sometimes it has been humorously said, and maybe somewhat seriously by some, that the problem with having children is that they don't come with an instruction book. I want to challenge that. There is an instruction book. It's this book right here, the Word of God. The central message for parents, and the basic instruction, the basic information that you need to know on how to raise your children is contained in this book. It is not what the experts in child psychology would tell you. It is not what the world would say that uh, now we have to do this and we have to do this. Certainly there are, there are many aids and, and many additions that we have in raising children these days that uh, some of us of our generation did not have. But this is particularly important when you understand both the makeup of children... And the world in which they grow up in. Not only is it the instruction book for the parents. It is in fact. As Paul reminds young Timothy. You began to have these instructions. These words. This word of God instilled in you in infancy." It is the instruction book that your children need for themselves. That needs to be brought into their lives and they need to be taught from young on from this book. This works by conveying to them and having the truth instilled in their hearts. It might be obvious, but we need to stop and ask the question, why? Why is that so important? Why is it important that you, as was done with Timothy, instill from infancy The truth of God found in his word to your children. Well, many today would say that you should in fact let children find their own way. Let's not brainwash them. Let's let them discover for themselves what kind of life, what kind of truth, what kind of philosophy they might want to follow. Let them find their own way. And if they want to believe in the Lord, well then, we'll let that up to them. Here is the problem. And the scripture is very, very clear. It's often a topic that we don't want to deal with. We look at a young child and we say how innocent and how cute and all of that and that is great. It is it is a great fun time to simply experience these young children. But as the scripture clearly teaches us, Psalm 51 and many other places, our children, and it's true for everyone ever born since Adam and Eve on, are conceived and born in sin. It's that simple. Due to the fall of our parents, Adam and Eve all have naturally inherited a depraved nature. It's not just that Adam and Eve disobeyed God and took up the fruit of the tree that they were clearly told not to eat and ate it but when they did so their nature changed God made us to love God to, to know him and to serve him but we became those who do not know God who do not desire to serve him and who hate God by nature and hate the world around us left to themselves left to themselves everyone. We'll choose the wrong. The choices that we make, the concepts of life that we adhere to, come from the heart. Ultimately. Whatever we do, whatever we believe in, it's what's in our hearts. And when the heart is by nature evil, those are the choices that will be made. We cannot avoid that reality. There's a further problem. And I don't have to tell you about this, but it's a reality that is very real. We live in a world in which there is tremendous evil. The world in which children are are going to grow up is a world in which by itself there is no truth. I know sometimes, again, those of us of our generation would say, "Boy, we're glad we don't have to raise children these days. But it's been that way from the beginning, in different ways, and it always will be that way. The world borrows truth from God. What is in this world apart from God is falsehood. It doesn't recognize God, and it is in conflict with God. And I must point out that this is not just with respect to uh, maybe what is personal morality and what is uh, a need to worship God. There is no neutrality in this world. All ideas or views of life are either God-honoring or they are God-dishonoring. That's the reality. And to send your children out into a world To discover for themselves, to find out for themselves which philosophy of life they might want to follow, is to assure that they will not discover the truth of God. Now the concept of the covenant that God has claimed our children is on the other hand not there those who said, well, look this world around us, we're just going to try to raise our children in sort of a, a very closed environment. No, we don't just simply let our children experience and know everything about the world out there. But we do live in this world. We cannot hide the fact. They will come to understand the things that are going on around them. We live in a world in which no matter how much you hide them, no matter how much you say there's no TV in our house, You may find yourselves with next door neighbors. Two men being married or two women being married to each other. It's a reality that we deal with in our world. There is truth and there is falsehood. There is right and there is wrong. And that truth and right comes from God and from His Word. There's an absolute dichotomy. What does not come from this book, ultimately, in terms of its basis, philosophy, principles of life contained in this book, is in fact in opposition and is false. And a mistake that is often made is to see that, well, okay, we certainly can understand and we agree and we are committed that we're going to teach the principles of faith. That God is God as He is revealed in the Scriptures. We're going to teach our children that Jesus is their Savior, uh, and, and that uh, the, the very Scriptures that Paul is talking about here is not just those small portion of life. He's talking about life itself. Notice in the very next verses, uh, verse sixteen. It's, of course, a very, very uh, prominent verse in Scripture in terms of how we understand what Scripture is. It is breathed, But then he goes on to say in verse 17 what it is for. That the man of God make me complete, equipped for every good work. Not for ten minutes or one day in a week and ten minutes of the other days of the week or fifteen, but for twenty-four-seven. Every part of life. Equipped for that life, the toolbox, if you will, that you need to live that life is this word. That's what Paul tells Saint Timothy. Now, certainly, children learn a lot of things. They learn how to talk, they learn how to add one plus one. Yet these are these things are truth because God is the God of creation. There is, of course, much education which takes place outside of the formal classroom, whatever that classroom might be. Children learn by imitation. They see what is around them. They want to do what their neighbor is doing. When friends can watch certain TV programs or not have curfew, they want to be like their friends. In fact, very often, it's been my experience, that the biggest problem with... Not having our children stick out as being somewhat odd from the neighborhood or from the world around us that parents don't want their children to stick out that way. A few minutes ago, we claimed this child as all in the church here as belonging to God. In fact, we literally wrote the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And when you write your name on something or someone, it's you're saying, that's mine. Belongs to me. That means they're not of this world. There is a distinction. You know, the need to teach and instill from infancy on the Word of God is more than simply providing for them some good information. By God's wisdom, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he has determined to use the word as the means by which the heart is changed. Timothy says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation. Not just to know the right things. It's important. Not just to get the right answer from Scripture about the covenant. But the Scriptures through that change hearts. It is the power of God that leads to salvation. You know when Paul speaks to Timothy about his faith he reminds him that the first began to hear the truth in childhood, literally in infancy. It said, that what a covenant child needs is the word and they must be taught. There's two essential principles involved here. He was taught from childhood and he was taught by his grandmother and his mother. In the covenant home, the implanting of the truth of God from His Word belongs to you parents. Yes, by extension, the church does become involved, and that's an important aspect of it. It is part of the covenant training to be formal catechized. But essential training in the truth of God, the implanting of the faith, the passing of that faith from one generation, which is what the covenant is all about, is in the home at the very youngest age. It is so much more than simply dropping your children off at church for confirmation class. Timothy's mother and grandmother did not just make sure that they had that formal training. They clearly, with the use of Scripture, implanted what is in their hearts and to the heart of young Timothy. What you want to do with your children is to present with your own conviction and by training, and by implanting that truth. Deuteronomy 6, which we led earlier, gives a picture of life. We do not literally, sometimes that's been, in fact, uh, Orthodox Jews have that totally wrong. It's not that you have to have something on your wrist that's uh, where the, the Ten Commandments or have, have a sign over your doorpost, but when it talks about having a sign on your doorpost and something on your hands and with your eyes that's talking about what takes place in your life. How decisions are made, how life is lived in that home, is it guided completely by the Word of God. You must train them, and they learn by implication. The young child sees father in church, when it's obvious that he's there because he knows he needs to be there but he'd rather be out on the golf course. Or when a young child sees his father in church and knows that he can look by his face that he is here because he loves the Lord and he's celebrating the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what's going to be implanted in the child's heart. The question remains, okay, we faithfully teach the word and lead our children according to word. Can we be certain then that if we just do all of these things right again, that they will remain faithful? Well, here's what the passage of God's word does say. Verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. So here's what we can say. If you are committed to raising your children, do you want to lead your child to know Christ? This is the tool that we use. This is the tool to get that job done. I want to be very careful. As I say this, there is a sense, a sense, in which the raising of children is risky business. If I can put it that way. Again, as I said, there's no magic in the water. Covenant is not a promise that God will save your children. It is a promise that God has a, a Savior for you. They embrace that Savior. The emphasis is right square on the situation that Timothy had. The home in which Timothy was raised was a home where the Word of God was present and taught. And that does provide the basis for covenant continuation from generation to generation. In other words, it is a home in which a child knows nothing else. Some call that brainwashing. I think that's a pretty good word. That's exactly what we are called to do. To brainwash our children that all of the other options are not really options. This is the truth. And this is only. And this is what we will follow. So it is, just a, is it just a sort of a hit and miss sort of deal? I really don't have any assurance? No, not at all. It is an abundance. Unbelievable work of grace on God's part that we have the blessings of the covenant. God does promise to be a God to his covenant people. There are no absolute guarantees. In the end, we do need to rely on the grace of God, which means that alongside of the word proclaimed and taught and lived in the home, there is the most important tool, again, the most important instruction that comes along with raising, with having that child, is prayer. Covenant parents need to be people of prayer. But the bottom line to you, to all parents, is that God has given you a responsibility. God has given to the church. We embrace this young child as well as the church to provide for him to use the tools that are given to us with the ministry of the word, the teaching of the word, the training of parents. I used to say that uh, perhaps uh, for catechism class, it would be better if the parents would come and sit in the class And then the teaching would be to the parents that they can go home and teach their children. You're to train your children in every aspect of life. Your children should know the Word of God because they have heard it and have seen it lived from infancy by their parents. There is nothing more important than to read to your children from infancy. Read the stories of the Bible. One of the basic things that I have tried to instill in young families throughout my ministry, as much as possible, I know we live in a world in which it becomes increasingly difficult as our children grow old, and we need to make those sorts of adjustments. Spend time every day in the Word with your children if you do it at the supper table or the dinner table, if you do it in, in before you go to bed first thing in the morning, whatever works for you. Spend time every day in the Word and in prayer with your children. The basic stories of the Scriptures ought to be well known by your children. By the time they even begin catechism classes, as much as they know about any other story on TV, and they know those stories. Pray with and for your children. And most important exercise, your own faith, in your own life, in your own home, and in your worship. And they will know what's really important to mom and dad. Let us pray. Our God and Father, what a joy and what a privilege even as young Timothy had. And his covenant families throughout the history of the church. Beginning with Abraham. That God has promised to be a God to us and to our children and to the next generation. And even as the psalm, Psalm 78 teaches us. That for those descendants that we will never see on this earth. That we desire that they know the Lord. Then we need to teach the works of God to our children. What a great privilege that is. What a great comfort that is to know that you have given us the tool, the instruction book. Help us to learn it and to use it and to apply it in all of our lives, we ask. In Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.